Hey, this is Mike here from The Glue Guys. What you are about to hear is a bit of a special episode that I've been cooking up for almost a year now. This was supposed to be episode one in my long-discussed three-part series dealing with Kevin Durant's Achilles injury, Uh, but obviously things have changed because, well, we have an idea when Kevin Durant's going to come back. It's not going to be this season. It's going to be next season whenever that starts. So I figured this is right around the anniversary of Durant's actual injury. When this is going to be released, it will have been yesterday was the anniversary. So I figured let's get it out now, have people enjoy it, and then we can get to deeper parts of the Achilles series as we get closer to December when next season is supposed to begin. What you're going to hear going forward is a look at Kevin Durant's final season with the Warriors, the issues that were there beneath the surface that led up to Durant tearing his Achilles in Game 5 of the 2019 NBA Finals. The first four games, the Raptors were dominant and lead three games to one. But all of a sudden, Golden State has a new addition. Kevin Durant will play, and Kevin Durant will start. Not only will he start, but according to Steve Kerr, Kevin Durant will not have any minutes restrictions whatsoever. Curry to Durant. Here's his first shot, and it looks pretty good there. Rattles home a three. I like the way Durant is moving early on, playing at his pace, get to his spot. Don't try to do too much. Ibaka trying to stay with Durant, knocks it away, and Durant's limping. Durant goes down, holding his leg. Ibaka goes up, and is fouled down the other end. And Durant grabbing that right leg. It's the right calf that put him out. His teammates going over to check on him. He has a walking boot on that right leg. He's obviously using crutches, and they depart the building. Obviously, prayers are to KD. He gave us what he what he could. Um, I just feel bad for him, so we'll... Uh, I got a lot of emotions right now. <sighs> Kevin had an, it's, it's an Achilles injury. Doctors' faces were ashen when Kevin came back there. Um, you could feel it was almost like it was a mini funeral back there. And he, the entire NBA just changed tonight. Fully recover, 70 to 80%, and then he still has time to fully recover. Actually, what KD was risking also to me wasn't the money. It was the rest of his career, the rest of his prime. He may never be the same. Welcome into Glue Guys Deep Dives. I am your host, Mike Smeltz. On this inaugural edition of Deep Dives, we'll focus on one of the most significant pivot points in recent NBA history. June 10th, 2019, Game 5 of the NBA Finals, a game that saw both the return of Kevin Durant to the Golden State Warriors lineup and the end of Durant's time with the Warriors as the former MVP tore his right Achilles tendon in that game. Now, to help tell this story, I'm joined by the Athletics' Ethan Strauss, who has covered the Golden State Warriors for a number of years and has written a book on the Warriors called The Victory Machine, about the making and unmaking of the Warriors' dynasty. I look at it as a tale of what happens at the top, what informs success, but how the things that inform success make it hard to sustain and how there are people who, when they achieve the greatest thing for themselves, cannot find happiness where it's in the doing, but not in the achievement of it. And Ethan has some history with Durant, too. There is a Kevin Durant chapter. He's too captivating a figure to avoid. And I had particularly bizarre interactions with him. That weirdness played out last season around the NBA trade deadline. Durant went on a several-day-long self-imposed media blackout 
partly or most likely mostly to avoid questions about his future, whether Durant would join the New York Knicks. Now, during Durant's days of silence, Ethan wrote a piece for The Athletic titled Silent Star on the presumed Warriors exit of Kevin Durant. In the piece, Ethan describes Durant's aggressive efforts to dodge reporters. It seems it was solely Ethan's story that just two days later after it was published, Durant rose out of his slumber to address reporters. Durant was looking ready for battle wearing a White Sox hat and a black hoodie. You've obviously been around the noise for so long. Is it bothering you more this year? Is it louder this year? It's unnecessary. You got to do Ethan Strauss who come in here and <clears throat> just give his whole opinion on stuff and make it seem like it's coming from me. And he just walk around here, don't talk to nobody, just walk in here and survey and then write something like that. And now y'all piling on me because I don't want to talk to y'all about that. Ethan was sitting just two rows in front of Durant. Come on, man. Grow up. Durant's eyes and his full attention turned directly towards Ethan. Yeah, you. Grow up. Come on, bro. I come in here and go to work every day. I don't cause no problems. I play the right way. Well, I try to play the right way. I try to be the best player I can be every possession. What's the problem? What am I doing to y'all? We're talking. We're talking. So, who are you? Why do I got to talk to you? Tell me. Does that is that gonna help me do my job better? Nah, bro. I didn't feel like talking. And would you guess which player Ethan's publisher chose to put on the cover of his book, The Victory Machine? Yeah, Kevin Durant. It's not my choice to put him on the cover, just because. I mean, I'm sure that's what sells the copies, but I'm already I'm already braced going. Oh, here we go. I'm gonna get a text or a phone call from either KD or his representation, mad about him on the cover. I'm already braced for that aspect of it. So that's my consideration that people selling books don't really have to worry about at all. But he is he is an important figure in the book and he's fascinating. You can't it's it's hard not to think about him once you start thinking about him. It was an unusual season, vibes-wise, to say the least, around the Warriors. Durant's pending free agency was the dominant narrative surrounding the team, and that outside pressure created internal fissures that broke open for everyone to see in a mid-November game against the Clippers. Draymond Green, the warrior that was the chief recruiter for bringing Durant to the Bay, got a rebound with five seconds left in the fourth quarter, score tied, and Green fumbled the ball as he passed half court, no shot, game into overtime. They don't use a timeout at three. Draymond at two. They got to get a shot off, and they don't. You would have loved to have had a shot to win the game. In the background, Durant is screaming, throwing his arms around, furious that he didn't get the ball. The exchange of expletives between the two players continued onto the bench. Curse words, slanderous assessments were thrown, the biggest of which came from Green, who reportedly said in that moment that everyone on the team knew Durant was leaving the Warriors for another team at the end of the season and that the Warriors didn't need Durant. Green was suspended one game for his words. Durant was not. A few days later, Warriors head coach Steve Kerr told reporters that Green and Durant had spoken and that Kerr was confident this incident would not create cracks in the championship infrastructure built in the Bay. I know what this team's made of. I know the character of the group. I know the history of this group. And uh, it's way too strong and way too powerful to uh, be upended by 
the type of adversity that uh, they can hit any team in the season. So we're going to get through this. Well, we now know the altercation early that season did have a lasting impact. In an interview this past October on ESPN's first take, Durant admitted that back and forth with Green affected his decision at least a little bit in leaving the Warriors for the Brooklyn Nets. That awkwardness, the distance between Durant and the rest of the Warriors, the miscommunication and sometimes complete lack of communication later manifested itself in the worst way. When Durant injured his right calf, the same leg Durant would later tear his Achilles tendon. The Houston Rockets are the fourth team playing the two-time defending NBA champion Golden State Warriors. Game 5 Houston Golden State Western Conference Semifinals at Oracle Arena. Now, in terms of total score of the first four games in that series, a single point was all that separated the Warriors and the Rockets. And it was in the third quarter, Warriors up by just one point, Durant isos on the Rockets' Amon Shumpert. Kevin Durant laces one through. And he's hurt. He is holding on to his right Achilles. His hard work. Immediately, TNT's broadcast team, Kevin Harlan and Reggie Miller, in their inexpert medical opinion, diagnosed Durant's injury as an Achilles tendon injury. Even Durant's coach, Steve Kerr, thought that it was an Achilles injury. I thought, uh, you know, I've seen that before with guys who who have uh, hurt their Achilles. And so that was my first question. And I was assured that it was, uh, it's the calf. It's a calf strain. Ethan Strauss told me that there were conflicting opinions all throughout the NBA in that moment where the Warriors were saying one thing, that it was a calf injury, not an Achilles, but league insiders were asking Ethan what the true story was. Man, it was a, it was a crazy time because, um, look, we, we, we took the explanation as it was given. Uh, somebody with the Warriors said, come on, you know, you know, Kevin Durant, come on. If he had torn his Achilles, do you think he would have just gotten up that night in the Rockets game where he injured himself? And we saw him in the locker room afterwards. Do you think he would have just gotten up? casually walked out of the arena i mean this is somebody who feels a fair bit of emotion i think we can say um that is not what would have went down if he had actually torn his achilles so that seemed to square um but a lot of teams were doing the analysis that you were doing i got called by multiple teams who were trying to get the goods and go okay but come on come on did he really tear his achilles like we were watching this in our war room uh, blown up and we think he tore his Achilles. Can you tell us, tell us, I know you can't maybe say it. I know you can't maybe write it, but what's going on? Because teams do that. They look for information any way they can get it. Um, I never got any indication that he tore his Achilles. I think there might've been, uh, obviously some sort of damage or maybe the injury he had, uh, the links in the chain, right? The kinetic chain as it is where you're emphasizing one thing and it leads to the other thing. Um, you know, maybe it'll always be a little bit shrouded in mystery because, again, it seemed as though Durant did a lot with his own guy um, and his own doctor. Um, and it's not like the Warriors were privy to everything. So I think it's just going to be one of those one of those mysteries as to how hurt he was and when, what capacity uh, for a while. Now, Ethan talks about an important point there. At least as it seemed outwardly, the Warriors and Kevin Durant were not completely on the same page in terms of Durant's recovery from his calf injury because of a lack of communication between Durant and the team 
a lack of communication that was a symptom of Durant's looming departure, his free agency, an issue that had hung over the Warriors all season. Ethan speaking on the Warriors management's point of view. I think they felt they weren't getting full information um, or it was just he was in his own bubble and you just get less of a sense of a guy and what he's going through if he's somewhat cut off from everybody else. I, I just heard and people told me that he was a bit cut off from the rest of the situation and that created a lot of mystery as to what was actually going on. And in the end, it was his choice to come back. And in the end, nobody was saying you have to get back out there on that court. But the thing that there was no pressure coming from the team, I don't know if it's anybody's fault, but there was clearly a sense of is this guy really as hurt as it seems like he is? Now, once the worst thing in the world happens, nobody's going to say that they were in that camp, but it was pretty clear at that moment in time. The timeline of when Durant would return, if he would, seemed to shift from the lead up to the finals throughout the entire series. On May 23rd, a week before the finals were set to begin, the Warriors themselves put out a press release that said it was, quote, unlikely Durant will play at the beginning of the finals, but it is hopeful he could return at some point. Now, every word is chosen extremely carefully in a press release like this, particularly one concerning the return of one of the best players in the league during the highest pressure point in any season, the finals. The word unlikely left some wiggle room. Unlikely is not definitive either way, shading more towards not happening, but of course opening up the possibility that Durant could in fact return at the start of the finals, and if not game one, maybe soon thereafter. Later after game one, Chris Haynes from Yahoo Sports reported that there's some optimism within members of the Warriors organization that Durant could be back by game three. Haynes added that game four is the stronger possibility. And before, Ethan spoke about the pressure the Warriors themselves may have applied to influence Durant's decision to come back. Nobody was saying you have to get back out there on that court. But the thing that there was no pressure coming from the team, I don't know if it's anybody's fault, but there was clearly a sense of, is this guy really as hurt as it seems like he is? You want team pressure? How about Warriors owner Joe Lacob declaring Durant would come back in this on-court interview with ESPN Stephen A. Smith ahead of Game 3. Last question for you. Do you think we'll see Kevin Durant this series? I do. I do. Not tonight, but I do. This series? I'm serious as a heart attack. Joe Laker. Appreciate you. <laughs> Thanks. You heard the owner. And so there was this emerging narrative as Durant's recovery took longer and longer. Does Durant even want to play for the Warriors anymore? Has he already moved on, focused already on being a New York Nick? Which, of course, didn't happen. ESPN's Jackie McMullen felt the need to address this nagging narrative on an episode of The Jump between Game 1 and Game 2 of the Finals. I will say this about KD. I don't understand the narrative, Rachel. I just don't. Kevin Durant, does everybody not think he wants to play? Do you think he's saving himself for... I mean, <laughs> right. stop it! That questioning of whether Durant wants to come back reportedly was being asked by Warriors staff as well. Sam Amick of The Athletic reported on June 9th, a day before Durant's return in Game 5, that sources told him there was real hope Durant would play in Game 4, and push through the pain like Clay Thompson, DeMarcus Cousins, Andre Iguodala, and Kavon Looney did before him. When that didn't happen, 
Amick writes, an irritation grew in large part because they simply did not understand why he wasn't there, and that, quote, Warriors officials aren't running from the reality that there's real frustration among some players, but they are also quick to point out that trainer Rick Celebrini, not Durant, is making this call. And until Celebrini gives Durant the go-ahead, his long and painful stretch of absences will extend into this pivotal Warriors summer where his free agency future remains unclear. Here's how Ethan saw it. It was clear that there was unease around the team. I, I think it was in many ways a tragedy of miscommunication because uh, there weren't open lines between him and the rest of the franchise. So he obviously was dealing with something and should not have been on the court, but nobody quite knew where he was at because he wasn't so much a part of their situation. So assumptions could run rampant. Nobody quite knew what was wrong with Kevin. Nobody quite knew where he was at. And so there was a lot of questioning. And then eventually, obviously, he does take that risk. He puts his body on the line and disaster strikes. Muddying the waters even more were reports of Durant's workout ahead of Game 4, with ESPN's Jalen Rose delivering a grim account. And I'm really familiar with the setup workout that KD had yesterday with the team, Mr. Big Shot and the truth. And I'm going to tell you guys, it didn't go well on any level. Wow. It did not go well on any level. I'm just going to keep it at that. So I went from being a guy that think that he may come back later in the series. Now I got to feel like he might not come back at all. It ain't happening. It ain't happening. So we go from unlikely to play in game one to might not come back at all as the narrative is building that Durant does not want to come back. And then Durant X Machina in game five. The first four games, the Raptors were dominant and lead three games to one. But all of a sudden, Golden State has a new addition. Kevin Durant will play and Kevin Durant will start. Definitely, he is the Night King for those of us who watch Game of Thrones. I mean, he's coming out to see if he can raise the Golden State Warriors from the dead. The booing in the background of that soundbite is from Raptors fans in Scotiabank Arena as Kevin Durant walked out onto the floor for the first time in Game 5. For Ethan, who has covered the Warriors throughout their dynastic run, Durant returning was unlike anything he's ever seen. When he entered the arena to play in that game five, it looked like a royal wedding with all the photographers and crowds around the entrance and the flashbulbs and he saunters in. He was the protagonist. He was the hero. Immediately, the Warriors, down 3-1 to the Raptors in the finals, looked different with Durant, as any team would, reinserting one of the best players in the world into their lineup. The main thing I remember around me in the arena as the game started and the Warriors just hit three after three after three. Curry to Durant. Here's his first shot. And it looks pretty good there. Rattles home a three. The Raptor fans around me had given up. I mean, they, they were up three to one and like, oh no, we're going to lose. <laughs> Durant for three. Kevin Durant, his third three-pointer already. Three for three from downtown, the lead is six. Because it was clear in that moment, and look, that was an impressive Raptors team, and they could have folded at various points, and they fought for it, and they're probably underrated. But that team did not belong on the same court as the Warriors with Kevin Durant. You can just tell the life 
that Kevin Durant has given this Warrior team. So there was that moment, that stretch, where maybe if you were looking at it on a granular level, like a Nate Duncan, and you could see that he wasn't really pushing off in the way he usually could, maybe you would look at that and go, yeah, they're not all the way back. What a start for Kevin Durant. 11 points, first game in 32 days. He's three for three from downtown. That's some help from Curry. Man, in the arena, in the arena, the reaction was, we're screwed. That's what the reaction was, and it was very short-lived. Short-lived. The exact length of game time for short-lived was 11 minutes and 57 seconds. That is how much Durant played in Game 5 of the Finals before his injury. 11 points, 2 rebounds, and a block. And with the Warriors ahead by 5 points into the second quarter, Durant comes off a screen to take his old teammate Serge Ibaka one-on-one. Ibaka trying to stay with Durant, knocks it away, and Durant's limping. Durant goes down, holding his leg. Ibaka goes up, and is fouled down the other end. And Durant grabbing that right leg. A non-contact injury. Durant grabs above the heel of his right foot, plays with it for a second, then waves over the Warriors' trainers. His teammates, Quinn Cook and Clay Thompson, help him off the floor. Durant limping away from the court as Raptors fans cheer wildly. Now, the boos did turn into staggered applause as Durant limped into the tunnel underneath the stands. Walking with him, Andre Iguodala, physically supporting Durant on his left side. Behind him, Warriors general manager Bob Myers and Steph Curry. Three people as responsible for the Warriors dynasty as anyone, escorting the enigmatic Durant. His complicated role in that dynasty, now seemingly over, due to an Achilles tendon tear. The Warriors went on to win Game 5, extending the series, but the player's mood post-game was devastation. Steph Curry. Obviously, prayers are to KD. He gave us what he what he could. Um, I just feel bad for him, so we'll... Uh, I got a lot of emotions right now. Clay Thompson. It's honestly to be to be honest, it uh kinda it kinda it's very deflating. It's hard to even celebrate this win. Demarcus Cousins talking with reporters. What do you think about the people who questioned Katie's heart and how long it was taking him to return? Yeah. Anger, dejection, disbelief. And to top it all off was Bob Myers. Myers delivered a post-game press conference never seen before in NBA Finals history. Um, he struggled to put together words. He's crying at times, sniffling. Uh, Kevin had a, it's, it's an Achilles injury. Fidgeting with his microphone, looking down at the table he was sitting at. No. Uh, instead of at the hundreds of media members assembled in front of him. He'll have an MRI tomorrow. But then he turned defiant. Let me tell you something about Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant loves to play basketball. And the people that questioned whether he wanted to get back to this team were wrong. Ethan explains Meyer's extremely public display of emotion. So much of what was going on with Kevin Durant seemed to be about the conversation about Kevin Durant. He's one of the most misunderstood people. And so I could understand that it was a difficult scenario but I also found it, frankly, a little annoying um, that he was going off on the people who might question KD and everything else. And uh, like, you don't understand this, this this guy and nearly weeping. And because we're all looking at it and we're going, look, you know, be that as it may, you know, people are unfair to Kevin Durant on the Internet. Uh, I get that. Uh, that's not really germane to this particular situation, perhaps. It seems like the situation is one of those, what did you know and what did you know it? And is your organization culpable for what just happened? And so it's odd to lash out at um, 
Thunder fan 681 right now uh, versus giving those answers. And maybe I'm a jerk, uh, but I, I just felt like it might have been a genuine moment from Bob, but it just didn't to me seem to be what a press conference of that sort is about as far as just what's the information, um, who, who knows what it just, it was just so, it was so strange to me. It was very strange. Myers in his tear filled press conference said, if anyone was to blame for Durant's injury, it was him because he's the head of the Warriors basketball operations. Essentially the buck stops with him. Others pointed to the Warriors medical staff. Durant never should have been cleared. Some said Durant himself was to blame because it was his responsibility to not compromise his health for momentary glory. Since his injury, though, Durant has pushed back on blaming the Warriors for putting him out on the floor or at least allowing him to return, literally saying to Chris Haynes of Yahoo Sports, shit happens. On to who to blame, Ethan lands along the same lines as Durant. Shit happens. Yeah, we always need somebody to blame when things go badly. Uh, that That is human. And maybe it's just an accumulation of different factors and like a team coming together. Sometimes a team comes apart and people drift and no one is to blame for it. And maybe the lack of communication and the less than informed decision making is the fault of multiple parties. But there's not one person where we can say, oh, they screwed up. Um, I'm not sure. I'm hesitant to place the blame because with medical, I'm not a doctor, which is something I say frequently. Um, so it's hard for me to really know. And then you get into this weird scenario where there are people who advocate on behalf of players and they're into player empowerment. And then they say he shouldn't have been out there. Well, he wanted to be out there. Do you want to have some sort of new regulation where the superstar has this paternalistic rule in place where he is not allowed to risk his body when he wants to risk his body? Does he not have the autonomy to do that? Because it seemed like he wanted to be out there. Now, if he was not if he was not availed to all the information he should have been and he was not informed of the risk, then that is different. And then in that way, uh, he wasn't served correctly. But if he knew everything and took on the risks, then I don't know if it's about fault at that point. I mean, that just seems like a guy uh, taking his career into his own hands and it working out in a bad way. At this point, who is at fault becomes less important. Durant played, he got hurt, and entered an offseason where every team in the league would still gladly pay a rehabbing Durant the maximum amount of money. The team he chose was the Brooklyn Nets, who we now know he won't play for until at the earliest December of 2020. And that will only happen if all goes right. That's because Durant has chosen not to come back and play this season, this delayed season that's currently still frozen due to the coronavirus pandemic. Durant says the plan all along was for him to wait and start fresh and focused for the 2020-2021 season when he and Kyrie Irving and DeAndre Jordan, the rest of the Brooklyn Nets, are a more fully formed team. Durant himself, though, admits he is healthy. Some have criticized Durant for making that decision, that he's being selfish, allowing his teammates to put themselves at risk playing under quarantine rules in Orlando while Durant collects his max contract salary. It is informative, though, looking back at his final season with the Warriors, as to why Durant made the decision to sit out this season. 
Everything that happened in that final season with the Warriors, the inner turmoil between his teammates and himself, the extreme outside pressure from media and fans, the disconnect between Durant and the Warriors organization, influenced Durant to make a bad personal decision, putting himself at risk by playing in the highest pressure possible situation. The NBA Finals, the Warriors one game away from elimination. The result was a career-altering injury occurring in the most high-profile way possible. Durant has said he does not regret his decision to play, but wishes he had made a different decision, meaning essentially he wishes he did not play. Durant's competitive drive, his desire to win three championships in a row, override the most logical decision he could have made during the finals. To continue to heal from his right calf injury and to not play, Durant didn't have a plan in his final season with the Warriors. Now with the Nets, after his injury, he's evolved and is choosing to stick to his plan, one that he believes will lead to sustained success and not momentary glory. So we wait till the upcoming winter before Durant gets back on the floor to prove whether his plan for himself was the right one. Thank you all for listening. This has been Glue Guys Deep Dives with Mike Smeltz. For much more on the Brooklyn Nets, continue to listen right here. The Glue Guys, Mike Smeltz and Brian Egan.